Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello. Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, welcome along. This week, our guest on Writer's Routine is S.D. Sykes. She's just released the fourth in her historical fiction series all about Oswald de Lacey. It's set in the 14th century. It's called The Bone Fires. Now, this novel is a locked room mystery. We talk about why she thinks of her story like a film director. Also, amazingly, she lets me take a look through her 2,000-word plan for the story, and we hear about how much she ends up swaying from that as she starts writing properly. And we also talk about why she finds it so hard to come out of her story at the end of the day. Towards the end of the book, I feel that I'm living it almost in the 14th century. And you know, the, the latest book, The Bonefire, is set on this um, this castle on an island in Romney Marsh, and... I sort of felt vaguely psychotic by the end of writing that book. You know, I sort of was in this castle, you know, with a mist rolling in from the marsh and as a murderer. Yeah, inevitably, it, it, it does kind of stay with you, through, stays with me anyway. I, I'm not very good at switching off from it. Loads more just like that on the way with S.D. Sykes in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes, welcome along. My name's Dan. Uh, this is Writer's Routine, the show where we take the sneakiest peek at the working day of some of the most successful authors to try and steal some of the secrets of that success, of that scheduling success for ourselves. Uh, now, this week, we're chatting to S.D. Sykes. Her new novel, The Bonefires, is out right now. It's set in Kent during the 14th century. It sees Oswald de Lacey get locked in a castle and there's a mystery to solve. Uh, it's the fourth in the series, and they are a fantastic mix, a, a real blend of, of history, of crime, of, of mystery, and, and they take part in a fantastic place in history, uh, the 1300s. Do you remember, if you heard, we spoke to ooh, Caroline Scott, I think it was a few weeks ago. Yes, Caroline Scott, all about her uh, World War One novel, and she was talking about how that period in history, straight after World War One is a perfect blank canvas because casually not many people really know what happened there and I think Sarah who we're chatting to this week kind of feels the same about the 1300s I mean we know about the the peasants revolt we know about the black plague but other than that I think we're all a bit useless 
That's why she prefers to set her stories in the 14th century. Uh, We also find out about why the county of Kent at that time fascinated her and why she found that place, the physical place, quite ripe for storytelling. Uh, Also, Sarah is a huge fan of storytelling as the hero's journey which is a clear method of what happens in a tale to your protagonist, how they rise, how they fall, how they rise, and then how they return home. And it's actually something that we all do. I think it sounds quite methodical, but just think about next up, when you're next telling a story to someone, afterwards or while you're doing it, think about how you are telling that story. And I think you'll find you'll be arcing the narrative in the same way as a hero's story. We find out why Sarah has picked that way of of storytelling during our chat. Uh, She also maps it out completely in a notepad, detailing almost really exactly what's going to happen in her tale. She does uh, veer from it from time to time, and amazingly, she lets me have a look at the notepad for a future book which was absolutely fascinating. It's on the way. Uh, There's also loads about her working day routine, which is what we're here for. Also about her yearly story planning routine as well. And we start, as always, with SD Sykes, talking about what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. I'm really lucky. um, I've got a, a room above a garage, so I'm able to actually walk out of my kitchen through the garage up a set of... uh, metal steps and then into this room which is is my own little cubby hole it's very cozy it's very much got all my things around it it's a real total mess um but I know where everything is in it um I have a desk that is literally shoved up against a wall and I do that so that I can't look out of the window and I can't be easily distracted I always have a really strong cup of coffee with me uh to begin work I've got one of those lights that um is uh, a vitamin D light yeah a vitamin D light thank you um because uh, yeah I get I get really miserable in the winter so and it's, it's really calming it's sort of a lovely gives this lovely glow and I feel like I'm going into this cocoon this little womb where I'm going to work and it's a very special place for me and I can't hear the front door I can't get distracted by doing other jobs uh I really don't like anyone else to come in particularly sometimes my husband works in the room next door but I don't like that very much because he he types really loudly so <laughs> it's just really it's these little these little <laughs> details that no one would ever think about that might get in the way like someone that reads your books will never think that when you've been writing it you've had to compete because your husband's been typing away too loudly <laughs> it seems really terrible doesn't it but sometimes I email him and say would you stop typing so loudly please but um so yeah I'm, I am as I say I'm quite easily distracted so just by creating myself this little space it's it's been wonderful but you know hasten to add you know obviously you can write books if you don't have your own room above a garage um you just need to find I think a space that's very personal to you that that is a safe space perhaps and that might be in a corner of a room it might be your kitchen table for me that never worked because yeah I would I'd start doing the washing up or finding you know chores that I never thought I needed to do before as a sort of um, way of distracting myself so um brings a few questions to mind you mentioned it being personal to you mm-hmm. what have you although you, there's uh, books everywhere but you don't want to be distracted that's why you're not looking through the window what is it about the garage room that does make it personal to you what have you got there that is keeping you in check do you know I think it is actually the fact that it's a bit of a mess um that's the true me um 
when I was a student, people wouldn't come into my room because it was so <laughs> disgusting and messy. But over the years, you know, I've had to grow up and be an adult. And the rest of my house is, if you came to the rest of my house, you'd find it was quite tidy and, and you know, well, well looked after. But this room is kind of where I can totally just go back to being exactly who I am. And so there are there are piles of books, there are little notes, there's half-finished cups of coffee. Um, but I know where everything is and no one, if anyone went in there and sort of tidied it up, I would go absolutely mad. What piles of books have you got? What would we see? Is it stuff, because historical fiction, yeah. is it research? Is it just things to keep your creativity ticking over? Um, there's a lot of, there is an awful lot of historical books in there. Um, obviously reference books, but art books as well. I get a lot of inspiration from art. Um, also, I'm, I am um, a fan of uh, books about writing. So I've got books by people like John York and Robert McKee. Do you, do you know Robert McKee as I well? know almost none of these, but I've been I've been picking up recently. I've had a few authors that have suggested ones to me. Yeah. So I'm making a big list on my computer. The only one is the classic one, um, the Stephen King on writing. Yeah, yeah, I've got that as well. <laughs> you know? So I've got a pile of those books and occasionally I'll, I'll flick through them for, for kind of inspiration or you just... Yeah, just to, there's a particular problem you you come to and you think, okay, how how can I solve that? And that it's one it's one way of 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 working through. You mentioned that the garage room. Have you always been in somewhere personal like that, or have you learned that's where you need to write over time? A little bit of both. Um, when I was younger, I w- you know, I wasn't the house wasn't big enough for the room over the garage. So yeah, it's, it's just about trying, I think, to to create that personal space um, wherever you are. But I I definitely can't write in. I couldn't go to a cafe and write, um, certainly not at the first draft stage anyway. I, I could maybe edit when there are people around, but I, I'm, I need that very quiet, dislocated space. You want uh, your cocoon? I do, yeah, I do. If I were to walk into your cocoon, would I, uh, you mentioned that I, I can't touch anything. You don't <laughs> want anything to be moved. But would I have an inkling as to what you were writing about this time. Have you got a whiteboard that's helping you plot? Are there post-it notes everywhere? What's the deal with that side of storytelling? Um, okay, so um, there's a board with um, a map of the, the manor where the where a lot of the action takes place. Um, there are post-it notes around, although you, you probably <laughs> wouldn't understand what they mean. I do. I, I, I do write um, outlines, so I've got files and... Um, with sort of character outlines and pictures of people that I think my characters look like. I like to go through the newspapers um, or maybe sometimes a portrait. The Portrait Gallery do a really good book each year, which is, um, you know, the, the the latest great portraits that have, that have been painted. And I'll quite often go through and think, oh, yes, my character looks quite a lot like that in my mind. Um, so there are the thing, the things like that. But whether you'd be able to tell exactly what I was writing, I don't, I don't know. You'd, you'd certainly get the sense of the medieval, I think. When you're looking through your portraits and looking through the <laughs> newspapers, what is that helping you do with your characters? Is it, have you got an idea of what they look like anyway, but you kind of need that anchoring? Or is that what is drawing their characteristics from you? Yeah, I think it's the anchoring is a really good way of putting it, actually. Um, um, I think I, a heart, I'm probably a kind of frustrated film director. So in my mind, I'm playing out a film, and so these are, I'm casting. I'm casting for my film. <laughs> so I find the person who I think my character looks like in my mind, and then that's who they are. And whenever I'm playing that scene through in my mind, you know that that's their face walking around 
the room or the great hall or the courtroom or wherever wherever the action is taking place. I like to be in my cocoon by nine o'clock with a cup of coffee um, and, you know, I might kind of glance at a few emails, but I try to start work by quarter past nine at the latest because I've got this kind of golden three hours of working, which for me is nine between nine and and, and one o'clock. That's when my energy is the best and that's when I seem to write creatively. That's when I seem to have the most uh, Just energy. two questions, let me interject. How have you discovered that? And also, what is it about it that makes it the best? I think it's a physical thing, actually. I think, you know, I just, um, I've, I've got up, I've, <laughs> I've had my breakfast, I've got my cup of coffee, I'm kind of raring to go. And, um, and yeah, you know, I do write, don't, you know, I do write in the afternoon as well. But just looking at this, looking back at the work I've written in, in those three hours in the morning, um, it's it's just always a better quality. Um, I must just have more more energy at that point. Do you tend to write in fits and starts in in that kind of golden three hours, or is it you know knuckle down, one hundred and eighty minutes just solid work? No, it's not. It's not solid. It's uh, twenty twenty five minutes. Then a bit of a break, coffee, um, go to the loo, look at the BBC website, um, look at one of my books, uh, maybe look out the window, try not to. Yeah, because I think it's quite difficult to, uh, well, I think for me it would be impossible to sit and write for, for three hours solidly. For someone that <laughs> earlier on was complaining about distractions, you're giving yourself a lot of distractions <laughs> well, I know, there. I know, but they're, they're very personal distractions, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it hits one o'clock, then what happens? Uh, have some lunch and... Um, then in the afternoon, after lunch, I've got two dogs, so I take my dogs for a walk. And that just sounds like a leisure activity, but actually it is work because um, if I've got a particular uh, plot problem that I need to work through, um, I find that just going for a walk, there's something about the steady pace of walking that really helps you to sort of almost hypnotise yourself into this other world where you're you're thinking through issues. And, and I've solved so many problems on that on that walk it's uh, it's a really important part of my day um you know not least you know it gets me out of <laughs> out of the room and kind of into the daylight the real daylight not from the lamp and i don't really believe in writer's block but there are always little points in a plot particularly when you're writing crime because you've you've got to have red herrings you've you've got to have you know suspects and a good climactic scene all those things and it all depends very it's all very interwoven and sometimes it it, it can make your head explode almost. So you need to just go and just walk and, and just let the pace of your steps help you work through. Is it focused thought from you? When you're out on your walk, are you going there thinking, I need to figure this one thing out? Or is your mind almost just wandering free and by the time you've come back, almost at the back of your head, it's all been figured out? A little bit of both. Sometimes, yeah, my mind will wander, you know, I'll see... Um, I see some, uh, you know, my books are set in Kent and I live in Kent uh, and I live in a very rural uh, location and it's very, me- you know, when I when I go to my local village, it's actually very medieval. There's still a lot of medieval homes. So I, I get a lot of inspiration from that. So I do use my walk as an inspiration as well. But definitely I will be thinking through an issue and if my mind wanders, then you're right to say that sometimes that's when the, the answer does sort of float in um there's a sort of magic to it if 
maybe that's, maybe that's going too far. I don't know. But uh, but there, there's a it's a really useful thing to do as a writer. You've come back from your war. You've yeah. managed to solve the problem. <laughs> then what happens for the rest of the day? Are you back at it? Uh, yes, I am. Um, but it would probably be more editing in in the afternoon. Um, um, yeah, as I say, that the 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 bulk of my actual sort of you know the push f- forward with the book is done in the morning in the afternoon it's more reflection about what I've done that morning I try to write a thousand words a day and sometimes I sometimes I write many more sometimes it's like a thousand and one words but I always think you know I do have this sort of silly little rule that I will write a thousand words even if I don't feel like it I'll I'll do it in the evenings I you know I tend to I, I read a lot um there might be some more research in the evenings but I'm not um, at my, my computer at that point. Brooding. E- even though you might not be there doing that, how good are you at completely stepping away from the story that you are telling between your writing not, times? Not very good at all, actually. Um, I was saying to you about kind of it's being like a film. And sometimes, you know, particularly towards the end of the book, I feel that I'm living in, almost in the 14th century. And you know, <laughs> the, the latest book, The Bonefire, is set on this... Um, this castle on an island in Romney Marsh and I sort of felt vaguely psychotic by the end of writing that book you know I sort of was in this castle you know with a mist rolling in from the marsh and as a murderer yeah inevitably it, it does kind of stay with you through stays with me anyway I, I'm not very good at switching off from it and lastly on the day you mentioned yeah. going out for a walk helps mm-hmm. you is there anything else a little quirk an eccentricity something that does tend to work free the cogs when you need it okay so i've got this this mad thing where i'm quite addicted to football phone-ins i'm quite a football fan <laughs> sometimes i like listening to in the early evenings sort of football phone-ins with people phoning up to moan about arsenal or man united or whatever and this is something really kind of <laughs> i don't know why that should help me rise a bit but there's something wonderful about kind of listening to the madness of the the sorts of things people complain about in terms of their football team that sort of somehow or other don't ask me how but that sort of feeds back somehow into my work I think no you're ever said that to you no, before, I was going to say I think you're almost the 90th author that I've spoken to and I don't think that's ever come up before okay. which is what it's all about so I'm, I'm all for that well I suppose I suppose the point of that is is that it's completely different to what I'm um what I'm doing during the day so I think that's the point and it could be that I, you know, I, I went off and started playing the violin or w- whatever it was. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not doing that. I'm putting the radio on and listening to people, <laughs> normally men, phoning up. Um. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We'll get back to SD Sykes' writer's routine in just a sec. Very quickly, uh, did you see this Guardian article the other day? I think it was the Guardian might have been the Observer, whatever it was, I thought it was nonsense. Uh, I tweeted about it over at Writer's Pod. It said that the only way that you can be a writer is if you have loads of money. That might have been, I did read it thoroughly, but that might have been just, you know, quite a clickbaity headline because it was was just nonsense, just utter, utter poppycock, really like nuts and uh, dispiriting. So I thought I had to call it out because maybe, I don't know, maybe having money helps you carve out the whole day to write. But is that really useful? I've spoken to so many authors, and when they actually finally become a full-time writer, they almost find it the hardest thing they've ever done. What was squeezed into a couple of hours after you've been to your day job, after you've put the kids to bed, after you've done all the housework, then you've got a couple of hours to finally squeeze out your words. It makes you a lot more productive. The authors that I've spoken to have found having a whole day of writing at their luxury much, much, much harder. I think the articles like that are quite useless as well. I think they're quite dispiriting because they they almost put a price on what you need to do to be creative. They put a boundary on what it takes to be successful. And the joy of creativity, the joy of storytelling, is if you've got an idea, if you can be bothered to write it, to quote many writers that I've spoken to when I ask them for tips, sit your bum down in a chair and start telling the story. That's all you need. By my calculation... You don't need loads of cash to get that done. So I thought, as a fairly prominent writing podcast, you know, it's kind of one of our jobs to to call that out, I reckon. Uh, But still, and check this for a clunky segue, money is quite nice, though. And if you would like to give us some, you can do that by heading over to patreon.com forward slash writer's routine. Just a little bit really helps us bring you these episodes as frequently as we can with the most successful writers uh, that we can as well. Just a couple of dollars a month really helps us uh, keep doing this. Helps me buy them a coffee at the very least. Uh, You don't just get to do it for the warm, fuzzy feeling in your own heart either. You do get like physical stuff for me to saying thank you to you saying thanks you've got bookmarks you've got badges any way that you can help out is really really worthwhile if you want to do it through cash head over to patreon.com forward slash writers routine make sure you follow us on twitter it's writers pod on there and always if you've not done it yet uh, leave us a review over on the apple podcast store that would be really helpful right this has been a little bit rambly so let's get back to sarah hello my name is Stuart mcbride uh my new book all that's dead is out right now and my, work, my one writing tip for you would be sit your backside in a chair and write. Write, write, write. Look at it, tell yourself it's terrible, and fix it. Just write and keep writing. If you don't write, you cannot be a writer. There's no point just sitting, thinking about it. Do it. Let's get back to it then with SD Sykes chatting about the fourth book in her Oswald DeLacy series. It's called The Bone Fires. We'll talk about how she actually portrays the 14th century accurately. But how do you paint a picture properly 
of a time when very simply you weren't even alive. A lot of it's through research, so we'll chat to Sarah about that. We also talk about why it's a locked room mystery and how that affected other parts of the story. And we get back into it with her character, Oswald, how much she knows about him right now, and also about how much she knows about what he might do in the future. Whenever you you sit down to write a novel, your protagonist has an an arc, and hopefully they will end up being a slightly different person to the person they started out as. Maybe, you know, hopefully they've they've been through a journey and they've come out as a better person but that's not always the case um but obviously if you're writing a series then you can end up just repeating that um and uh, personally I d- that that would bore me actually as a as a as a writer that's not not what I want to do so I'm quite lucky in that he starts in the first book he's 18 the last book I've written he's 29 so I'm following a a young man growing up um um, there's a lot of coming of age in it. Um, in each novel I write, he has something to... He has a, an external problem to to negotiate, which is obviously the murder, but then he always has an internal journey as well. So that we learn a little bit more about him and we see him growing up through through each novel. How much do you think of your whole series as a hero's journey? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I think, um, as I say, he started off at 18 and he's... Uh, in the book I'm about to write, he's 35, although we then go back to him being 17. Mm. So there's a kind of time lapse. So it's like a, a circle that's been sort of um, completed, if you like. Do you know where his story will end? Oh, uh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, I've kind of given myself a, a, a date, um, which is um, 1381, 1382, which probably won't mean anything to you, but it's the Peasants' Revolt. Um it's it's a fascinating the 14th century is a fascinating part of history I won't talk about it too much but you have the black death right in the center of that that century 1350 and it, the population halved and that the the um effects of that sort of spiral out through society in in so many different ways leading up to I would argue that the peasants revolt um w- was was actually a result of of the black death but 30 years 30 years later because so many people died that suddenly the poorest people in society had a voice and they felt empowered and they felt able to sort of take on the king and demand you know better rights and and all the all these things that they that feudalism stopped them from doing before why is that period everything that's going on why is that right for storytelling i suppose it's a, it's a time of great change um, you know imagine now if uh, God forbid a plague came along and killed half of our population. Would you think of the the kind of horror of that? So there's, there's all sorts of dramatic uh, interest in it. You know, people dying of horrible diseases or whatever. But then you've also got the way that that has implications throughout society, um, and and you know, it just gives a fantastic backdrop for for, for writing historical crime fiction he's an introvert and I was very interested in creating a character who is a, a protagonist and he's a he is a hero but he's a reluctant hero and I I think it's personally find that it's more interesting when people do something brave that's out of character than than if they're just a sort of um, really seriously disinterested in superheroes so um, <laughs> because they're just brave you know they're, they're just strong or they can you know do amazing things uh, with lasers or whatever I'm, so I don't watch these films but 
<laughs> no, I got that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's much more interesting um, to look at somebody who who is maybe a little bit kind of reticent to push themselves forward, but gets put into a situation where they have to be a hero. And do they sink or swim? And and he he swims. So that 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 was his that was his personality. And I was very keen to write that sort of detective. And it's quite. Um, it's quite unusual, actually. They uh, they tend to be a little bit more upfront. The the average um, detective that you'll read in, in in a novel. Now, you know, don't get me wrong. He, you know, he he is he is proactive and he does solve crimes, but he's not. You know, he's 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 not this kind of uh, forceful type of person. That's not who he is, and and that's really interested me to, me to to write about. And now it's led you to your fourth book. Yeah. Just talk me through the very first moment that the idea for it came into your mind. Okay, so the fourth book, uh, The Bone Fire, is set on Romney Marsh. And I was in a pub um, down there called The Ferry and in a little village called Stone in Oxney. And The Ferry is nowhere near the sea. It's 10 miles away from the sea. And they had this little map um, that they actually put out as place settings and you could see that actually, in the time I'm writing, it was all just like an inland sea. And where we were sitting would have been where there was a ferry that led you across from the Isle of Oxney to, I think it was Appledore. And the sea came right up to a place called Tenterden, which I don't know if you know that part of Kent at all. But it's now, I think it's about 15 or 16 miles away from the coast at, at Romney. So basically that land has been reclaimed over the f- you know the centuries in in the meantime and it was f- fantastic to think of it being a, a very very different environment Th- then you came to sit there with your outline how did you move that to be the plot so you sit there and you think right I, i've got my hero's journey to yeah. kind of figure out yeah, yeah. <laughs> i know it's going to be on this reclaimed land yeah then how does the plot come? okay so um i i wanted to write a locked room mystery or not castle, let's put it that way. I wanted a, I wanted all of my characters to be confined in, uh, inside a castle, and somebody amongst this group to be the murderer. And it's a good kind of classic Christie trope, isn't it? Uh, and then there were none. Um, and it's a real challenge as a writer to think how you're going to make make that work. And this, this island that was, you know, is now just part of Kent, but was once an island uh, surrounded by sea. I thought fantastic. I could have my characters. Um, escaping from plague because plague, it, we you had the Black Death, but then it returned many times afterwards. So they knew, whereas at the Black Death, nobody really knew what was coming. In later years, they they knew exactly what was coming. And so the only way to uh, escape plague was literally to, you know, run quickly and stay away a long time. You know, that was the, the old saying. So my characters are rich enough to be able to have uh, to, to be Oswald's rich enough to take his family to this castle which is owned by a friend and then hey presto once they've locked themselves in they find that one among them is a murderer so they've escaped plague only to find themselves uh, under threat in a very different way I was cheating for a while I had people kind of coming and going from the castle and <laughs> and then my editor said to me no we need to we need he needs to go to the castle lock the doors and that's that and so yeah that was the biggest change between the the uh, outline and the actual finished novel um and then yeah it's just literally it's like a a, a puzzler you know I know who's who's done it and why they've done it but you, you have to make sure that it's not too clear to anybody else 
exact too quickly who else has done it and and you also have to in those situations give each of your characters a really uh they have to be very you know there's only the there's only the character and the setting there's not a lot else going on so the characters have to be quite colorful so i think it, it, if you read the bone Fire, there's there's kind of a a jester who's you know a terrible kind of makes up some terrible songs there's a, a clockmaker from uh, bruges there's um uh, a lord and lady who you know no, not quite sure what they're up to there's a uh, a knight who's run out of money there's an old priest who seems very angry with everybody you know there's a whole kind of collection of characters uh, hopefully that sort of give a lot of color to to the book and then within that you have to then go through and think okay how can i disguise what they're doing or how would this actually work mechanic you know how how would the murderer be doing this how would if he's locked in a room how is he able to get out again and you know there's a certain amount of mechanics involved it's a massive consideration when you're writing historical novels. How how do you how do you portray the 14th century um, without going off into really long, quite boring exposition? Uh, and that's not the way I wanted to write at all. So I, I mean, I do an awful lot of research, but very little of it actually turns up on on the page. Um, you know, I might spend ages reading a book about something, but you might be only two or three words actually make it through to the page. I'm quite strict with myself if it's not important to the plot it doesn't it doesn't go in there even if I you know I have <laughs> I spent a long time doing a, l- a lot of research o- o- on this I've, I, my third book was set in Venice in 14th century Venice and very research heavy book uh, and there was so much that I wanted to just try to slot in but I, I, I made sure I didn't because I think it it breaks people's flow when they're reading to suddenly think oh yeah there's this c- the writer's clearly like you know <laughs> been to this church or whatever or or you know and wants to tell me lots that are, isn't really relevant to the story so so I'm quite strict on that um I use language that suggests it's kind of archaic but it's not the and thou and you know there's no kind of like cod medievalism going on um but equally I try and stick away from words that have a more modern etymology so one of the words I, I had to take out, for example, was a uh, sidetrack because it has connotations of the railway industry. So you just have to see, keep going through or mesmerizing. Well, it's Dr. Mesmer. And of course, that's, you know, has he's a much later character. So it's all about it's all about creating this illusion of the past, really, um, um, and trying to do it in a in a clever way that doesn't break the, the spell. When you've got a new book out, what do you hope? that your fans want from that story? I get a lot of comments that, oh, you know, I read this really quickly and, and, and I, I find that really uh, I find that really complimentary to think that somebody's sort of picked my book up and has been so wrapped up in it that they've they've sort of sat and read it in one go or two goes or whatever. I, I find that fantastic to think. So, I would, yeah, that sort of gives me great pleasure in terms of, you know, I've got my plotting right and I've got my pacing right. Uh, I think they also want to learn about um, the 14th century, but not, as I say, not in a kind of top-heavy, over 
overly didactic sort of way. I think they want a flavour of it. Um, there's an awful lot about this, the, the way of people lived in those days. You know, that fascinates me. You know, I'm not particularly interested in kings and queens and battles. I want to know kind of what the toilets were like, what sort of food did they eat, what the streets smelled like, what clothes did they wear, what did they find funny. You know, it was all they, you know, if we were transported back to the 14th century, what, what would it be like? I, and hopefully that comes across from my books and people do respond to it from you know from the feedback i get so so that's what i hope that they would uh, they would pick up yeah and that is it for this week's writers routine thank you so much to sarah sd sykes uh, for coming on the show as I say, she's managed to bring together a fantastic blend of history and mystery and crime. They're, they're fantastically researched, they're knowledgeable, and they're so much fun. You should check them out. There are four that you can take advantage of. I've got links to them over at writersroutine.com. While you're there, get in touch. Let me know what you're thinking about the show. If you've got any guest recommendations as well, I'd love to hear them over on the website. Just click the contact form. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter. Give us a follow. It is at writerspod. I'd love you to give a review for the show as well if you're listening over on the Apple Podcast Store. It helps other people find the help and advice from our authors. If you're not on Apple, if you listen on another way, it's absolutely fine. Maybe just tell someone that you know that might be interested face to face also if any of the advice from our authors has helped the way that you tell your stories uh, please do drop us a dollar or so every month over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine next week on the show uh, we're staying with history chatting to rory clements all about his new book hitler's secret which might secretly be based on truth He's a little bit coy about it, but I really want to find out. Uh, we'll get how he told the book, how he planned his day, nevertheless. That's next week with Rory Clements on Writer's Routine. I will see you then. Bye. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.